In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions, be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote. From accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht git blether. And you can also join in our blethers on social media. You can find us as at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode. We love making the podcasts and would love it if you could share them with your friends and leave a review on the platform of your choice. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Scottish Blethers. I'm Liz Lister. And I'm Helen Houston. And we've had fun with this one, Helen, because um, we thought that we would talk about, you know, foods that our granny made, but we've found so much in just the soups alone that it may take a whole episode just to get us through that. Oh, oh well, we're, we're Scots, Liz, and we love our soup. We do, we do. And this all came about because I've just been out on the road and everywhere I went, every dinner that they had on the menu these days, you have a very famous Scottish soup called Cullen Skink. Oh, I just love Cullen Skink. I just think it's... And I have to say, if it's on the menu at lunchtime, I will always have Cullen Skink. Exactly. It's my husband's favourite. I love it as we go round. I always say to my tour members as I'm going round, there's one thing I hate more than anything else, and that's a watery skink. Oh, yes. That's right, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a watery skink. So people will be saying by this time, what is um, Cullen Skink? Well, it's a thick Scottish soup. And uh, it's on every menu throughout Scotland, so much so that The Guardian actually wrote an article on it and they called it the milky fish soup, which has surely replaced your haggises and porridges as Scotland's signature dish. And I think that's actually quite true. I think it has. I think people are more more likely to take Cullen Skink because it, especially Americans, because it's similar to an American chowder. Yeah, but a bit smokier. That a bit stronger in flavour, perhaps, than than an American chowder. So yeah. where does the name come from? Well, it comes from a little town just in the northeast of Scotland called Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N. And Cullen, I used to live just quite close to Cullen, and not only was it famous for its skink, but we used to go for an afternoon out to sit and buy ice cream. They have a fabulous ice cream shop. So Cullen skink and ice cream what more could you want in life? Yeah, it's a lovely little town. It's also got a beautiful golf course. I remember one of my first yes. ever games of golf was at Cullen. But the skink, perhaps, is a little stranger. And um, What does skink mean? Well, it's a Scots word for a shin or a knuckle of beef. And they think that perhaps that was where it originated, but there's not a lot of beef around that area, much more fish. So perhaps the, the beef got adapted and it became a fish dish that we know today. 
just trying to think of a fish with a shin. <laughs> a fish with a, a fin, fin, yes, but not, <laughs> but not a fish with a shin. <laughs> and then everybody agrees that it's made with some kind of smoked fish. And again, all your recipes will say that you must use a smoked fish with no artificial colouring, you know, that yellow stuff that you get in supermarkets. So it's got a smoked fish and it's got potatoes in it. But after that, everybody has their own variety. Yes, and I have to say, I, I like the more or less the straightforward one. There's lots and lots of smoked fish, although I've noticed that some people are putting in some seafood as well as the smoked fish. Oh, no, no, no. That but, would be... but yes, I know, but it it looks pretty if you have a little odd mussel shell floating around as well. But it's, <laughs> it's kind of tried to be affy chefy, as they say. <laughs> You're obviously eating in far more high-polluting <laughs> restaurants than I'm eating in hell, and I've never seen any mussels floating in mine. <laughs> oh, Liz, but you know, we come from different different areas of salad. <laughs> yeah. Well, after my, my week with my guests, they were all asking for a recipe at the end, and it was then that I began to see all of the variations. The one that I do is very simple. I like to it was a, a very old recipe that I've used for a while and it's I don't cook my fish in either water well I suppose I do in water or milk some say to lightly poach it in water some say lightly poach it in milk I put boiling water over my fish and then leave it for 15 minutes while I do the rest of it so it's the very very lightest so that it's nice and flaky but the worst thing you can do is make your fish rubbery yeah. And do you then use the water because you've got the flavour in the water? Exactly. Make yes. stop uh -huh. with that. And then the next question is, do you use leeks or onions or both? Or bo I actually, for soup, I prefer leeks in soup. Yeah, All soups, I prefer leeks. Yep, yeah, sweeter. So you you um you cook your your leeks or your onions, which are both, whichever. But I would use the leeks. You braise them in butter is lovely and then you add your potatoes diced potatoes and then you get another um, difference of opinion because whether you have it um, with the potatoes there in the soup or whether you puree it so you have a smooth soup now that's not for me no actually it was interesting because I remember quite a number of years ago this is just to show how posh I am Liz I was having lunch on the Royal Yacht Britannia oh, yeah here we go here we go <laughs> And I was quite shocked and quite surprised that they pureed the cullen skink because oh, no. I was looking forward to the, the 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 lumps of potato, the bits of leek, the bits of fish, but it came as a kind of a cream soup. And I thought, oh, I'm not so sure. The taste was there. There was no question about the taste, but it was just the texture. I sound, I'm sounding very chefy now. Yes, athy chefy and athy <laughs> posh. No, 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 no. You have to have the. I like it to be thick. So I would yes. either mash it before I put the fish into it. So I mash down about half of the potatoes, or you can take half out of the pan and mash it more thoroughly, and that thickens up. Yes. Then you put it back together, leaving lots of lovely lumps of potatoes and yes. leeks in it, and then add your fish flake your fish and put it through it and then what do we do in the posh world do we add chives or chopped parsley alongside your little bit of uh, muscle shell right i think I, i'm just i think i would put chives in rather than the parsley although either would do i think yeah but i do agree that nowadays they make it more posh by putting in some single cream or double cream indeed oh, if well, you want to make it my husband definitely put cream in definitely, definitely put cream to make in. it very creamy so it is and as you say helen it's a filling 
lunch on its own with a piece of crusty bread or as they were having it, a starter um, to many of their, their dinners at night. Gosh, that's quite a hefty starter, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, but, but lovely, really tasty. It is. And then, of course, that then brings you into the question. If you're using a good smoked fish, which would you use? A Finn and Haddie or an Arbroath Smoky? So we'd better explain what both of those are. Finn and Haddie, first of all. Well, a Finn and Haddie is just, it's almost like a traditional method of fish smoking, isn't it? And again, it's from the northeast of Scotland. That's where soups and Finn and Haddies and Arbroath Smokies all kind of come from. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to about the 18th century, the Finn and Haddie. We're yep. not quite sure where it is and how it came about. It could have been from a wee place in Aberdeenshire called Findon mm-hmm. or Findhorn, which some of our viewers may have, some of our viewers, ha, what am I like? <laughs> so, 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 some of our, some of our listening, listeners may, may have heard of Findhorn, which was a lovely little fishing village on the northeast, on the Murray coast. Yeah, so up there, you know, Finn and Haddies have been known as far back in the records going back to the 17th century, but it became really popular in London, but not until the 19th century. And the reason for that is that although you're smoking it, it's a very light smoking, and so it didn't have a long shelf life. So you really had to get it to its destination at most within three days, but a lot of people said that it should be no more than a day. So it was really only when the railways came that they could get it down to to London. Yes, and and I think a lot of the Scottish fair did kind of percolate down through the UK with the onset of the railways when you could get down including our whiskey got down with the railways with many distilleries having their own station behind it. Yeah I mean I think I've said before that my great-grandfather I mean both of my going generations back were railways and my great-grandfather was the driver on the first train that went along what they call the extension line from Fort William to Malig. And that line was built to get the fish that was being brought into Malig to get it down to market as quickly as possible. And of course, the train from Malig to to Fort William still does that important task, doesn't it? Getting the fish down. And then, of course, with the Brexit, there was a big problem getting all that wonderful seafood from the north of Scotland down and across to the continent where the big markets were. Yeah, not much had it these days, mainly the shellfish. But shellfish still some now, had yes. Come in. And some of our readers... Oh, our readers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, we're going all over. <laughs> we're on telly. We're in every library. <laughs> Is this Alfie Posh? Is this... Uh, I'm getting fair away with myself, with my, with my cream and my... In my Cullen skink, I'm getting away with myself. Some of our listeners may more be more familiar with the Finn and Haddie by having it for breakfast. Because again, in a lot of the top restaurants, you'll have it poached in milk um, as a choice for breakfast. Or maybe they've come across it in kedgeree, which is the rice dish with egg and smoked fish. Yeah, and of course, I think people in Scotland would always have something like a Finn and, Finn and Haddie for breakfast rather than cook it in the house because the smell, the uh-huh. fish smell just goes through through the house. So although we love it, we don't like the smell in the house. So um, if you're out for, if you're staying in a hotel and they've got it on the menu, that's your opportunity to have that wonderful dish yeah, and no smell. That's very true. It does smell out the house like kippers, which is another one we can come back to. But some people may even have heard of it in the song by Cole Porter, My Heart Belongs to Daddy. 
Now, this is very risky because it's a double entendre, Helen. Very oh close, my, right? Oh, Liz, Liz, this is so unlike so you. Me, me, what are you? What are you? Oh, I'm so offended. Anyway, if you've, if you've ever heard the song My Heart Belongs to Daddy, you may have wondered because it uses it with Finn and Haddy. Now, if you think about it, there's not a lot of things that rhyme with Daddy. And he was trying to find things that rhyme with Daddy. Now, the song itself, Dolly Winslow, was um, the young protege, we might say, of a rich newspaper publisher. And she's saying that since she's met Daddy, she'll flirt with other men, but she won't follow through. So it's quite risky. So in the second verse, um, our sugar daddy's this this newspaper magnet. Uh, I've come to care for such a sweet millionaire. But in the second, the, the words of the second verse are, if I invite a boy some night to dine on my Finn and Haddy, <laughs> I just adore his asking for more, but my heart belongs to daddy. So there you go. When you hear that song now, you know what she's on about when she's talking about her Finn and Haddy, or maybe not. Oh, Liz, I had never looked at that that way before. So, well, I, I will maintain my respectability, Liz. You have just sh- thrown yours on the ground. <laughs> well, I've just, I've just explained what I'm sure many people have, have wondered well, about when they listen wondered, to that yes. song. Right. So if it's not a Finn and Haddy, the other one that they put into um, the Cullen Skink is an Arbroath Smokey. Yes, and they are both smoky. They had quite a fight, didn't they, with yeah. the with the authorities? Because with the European Union and all the rules that they were coming about with, they were going to sort of ban the Arbro smoky for health health and safety reasons because of the way it was smoked. So, but they they were very pleased to have attained their their status in 2004 it can only be produced now to be called an arbor smoky it can only be produced within 5 mile radius of the town center of arbroath so it's on on a par with parma ham and champagne keeping its name yeah this protected geographical indication pgi yeah but you're absolutely right but the local legend says that it was a store for fish that caught fire one night and that there were barrels of haddock which were being preserved in salt inside it and the following morning when the people got up they found that some of the barrels that had caught fire had cooked the haddock inside and it was quite tasty so um, that's one of the the thoughts as to how this um, arbroath smoky arrived but it's probably more likely that some of the villagers had come from Scandinavia because um, smoky making is a process that's used extensively throughout Scandinavia. Yes, and, and, they, and they still use barrels to smoke it. So you'll just think, well, we better not change the way of things. But as I say, the EU decided differently, but Arbroath fought its corner and won. Absolutely. And then, of course, Cullen Skink that we've been talking about is just one of many soups because soups are cheap, they're healthy, they're warming. And in winter, we've got lots of root vegetables growing in Scotland. So we've got a whole load of soups associated with a Scotch broth, one of our favourites. Yes, I like Scotch broth. I I must say that nowadays, Liz, I hardly use a recipe for soup. I just, you know, open the fridge and whatever's there needing used up goes into the soup because it usually is just all the vegetables and they go in well but scotch broth has got barley in it and sort of leeks and made with a lamb stock isn't it the scotch broth well today it is they use lamb because of course lamb is really all that you can buy in the supermarkets but traditionally it would have been made with mutton which is a more mature sheep 
nowadays they don't allow you know it's, it's unusual to see mutton in a supermarket i've never seen mutton in a supermarket but um if you talk to shepherds as we do you'll know that they say that there's much more flavor in mutton than there is in lamb i know that i know that my husband when he was making curries and things he would always use mutton he never used lamb and um but you're right, Liz, it was impossible to find mutton in butchers. You had to kind of make friends with the butcher and he would make sure he got some mutton for you. Yep. But did you see any any veg that are going, whether it's turnip, potatoes, carrots, um, but barley, a very important ingredient. I didn't used to like it, but I've come to like it because if you've got a very deep flavour in the soup, it sets it off. Yeah, it's funny you should say you didn't like barley because cause when my mother made Scotch broth, she didn't put barley in it because she didn't like barley. But you know, like you, Liz, I see why it is in Scotch broth because it's it does kind of just gives it gives it its thickness, but it's a kind of a a kind of a lighter flavour to the vegetables that are in there. Yeah, I and mean, traditionally, you know, when they were making stock, they would simmer the the mutton for about an hour before they started to make the soups so that they had this really deep. So most soups, I think we tend to make them quite quickly today, but traditionally they would have had them boiling away on the stove um, for a long time, getting okay. this rich flavour from it. That's memories of childhood. You know, the big soup pot on the Rayburn, uh-huh. you know, on, the, on the, the, the end of the Rayburn that wasn't as hot as the other end, so it just sat there, as you say, for days, and you just dipped your the ladle in to get your plate of soup, you know, we used to joke in, at home saying soup pot would last for a week. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think we should explain for those who I don't come from quite so posh circles. A rayburn was a range. You know, well, any it's of us a range. had the old belling, um, the two yeah. rings. But <laughs> but the ray, the rayburn was a cheap version of the aga. That's true. Yeah, something you could aspire to, Helen. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and then again, after Scotch broth, the other one that you tend to think of, cockaleeky. It's named self-explanatory. I love cockaleeky soup. That's with a chicken stock and chicken in it, and it's a much lighter soup. It's not as it's not as thick or creamy as the other soups. It's it's light, and you can actually see the the vegetables, the leek and the chicken within it. Yeah, but again, you know, when it was a hearty meal, they would often thicken it with rice or barley again. Um, but there was an a, an interesting additional ingredient that was put into it traditionally, and that was prunes. I know, and I'm not quite sure, Liz. Do you know why prunes ended up in there? Because they're not a traditional Scottish dish, or or we don't grow prunes or plums, isn't it? Plums that are dried prunes. Uh-huh. Well, they think it may have come from from France originally, just to give it some flavour. Um, they often used a, a broiler fowl, and it didn't have a lot of flesh on it. Um, so they would put a lot of vegetables in um, to add, but just to give it a little bit of flavour, putting prunes into it. Yeah, yeah, I quite quite like it with the prunes because it gives a wee bit of sweetness to it. It's nice. Yeah, you know. But I'm just going to say that cockaliki is a traditional dish for a burn supper. They would probably start the meal with a, a cockaliki soup. Yeah, and um, there's a, one of the famous chefs from the past, Meg Dodds, because you get Meg Dodds fish pie on some um, menus. She's said to have said that the soup must be very thick of leeks and the first part of them must be boiled down into the soup until it becomes a lubricious compound. So basically boiling your leeks till they become mushy. Lots of instructions. I yeah. know, gosh, it's, it's really interesting. It's You know, I think I think that... 
I suppose that's what you know our our parents did. You know things like Brussels sprouts going on at September, ready for Christmas. <laughs> you know? That's true, but. Um, <laughs> It's interesting that Kokoriki soup was also offered on the first class passenger menu on the Titanic in 1912. So they had a good dinner before the Titanic. Maybe it was the weight of all that lubricious compound that made oh, the Titanic sink so fast. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> but it's, it's, I, li- I, I do like it because if it's on the menu, it is a lighter soup. And if it's on the starter as instead of your lunch, lunch, I wouldn't have it for lunch because it's not, doesn't give you enough. Yeah. But I, I like cockaliki soup. But it first dates back in Scotland to 1598, and that was when it was made with leeks. And then it became very posh later on when they added French onions. So that's the sort of French addition to it. Oh, it was interesting when the, the French onions started coming into into Britain with the onion johnnies. Remember, you won't yeah, know this. I do. I... And their bicycles and their strings of onions. Yep, and their Blue and white striped T-shirts and the berries, yeah, very, very stereotypical image of a Frenchman, which I think they just made it up. It was from from Brittany, wasn't it? They uh-huh. came from Brittany, yes. Yeah, and they would cycle around and they would come with the onions on a string and knock at your door, and yeah. uh, that's how my mum got her onions from the that, onion Johnny yes. Cormand. Yes, because I don't think they were in the shops. You know, that type of onion it was a special type of onion that they brought, uh-huh. which we didn't grow, but they grew in Brittany. Right, but it wasn't the red onions. It no. was the, the, the ones they were all tied together by their skins on the outside and, yeah. and wrapped into a string. Yep, so memories from the past. And of course, cockaliki soup, that's how it gets its name. Cock from the chicken and leaky from the, the leeks. So yes. a good traditional that's one. Right. And of course, I just leek. Leeks must be in soup. Uh-huh. Um, I, just, I just don't like uh, soup without leeks because it just gives you that depth of flavour to it and things like you know, leek and potato soup yeah. that, that that's a favourite as well just straightforward, says what it does in the tin, leek and potatoes Absolutely and it's on a lot of, of uh, menus because it's cheap and, and hearty, leek and potato when you talk about says what it does on the, no, does what it says on yes. the tin, right, when you think of tinned soups and you think of Scotland what do you think of? Oh, it's Baxter's soup. Baxter's Royal Game Soup was one of their first soups. And that was that was really posh soup on the menu at home. If you if you got that, there was a special occasion. Yeah, I mean, when people think of, of um, tinned soups, canned soups, they might think of Heinz. But traditionally in Scotland, the luxury end of the market were Baxter's of Speyside. They were based at Fockaber's, which is, again, northeast Scotland. A lot of these um, soups originating there. But apart from soups, they also made lots of pickles and sauces, chutneys, marmalade, and beetroot, jam, Liz. Beetroot, yeah. because I used to live just about four miles from from Baxter's, and that was a threat to all the children at school. If you don't stick in with your schoolwork, you'll end up on the beetroot <laughs> line at Baxter's. Because <laughs> what a threat for you, Helen! <laughs> and you knew the people on the beetroot line because they had these red fingers, you know. <laughs> So it was the red fingers that put you off, right? That's yeah, right. yeah. No, I mean they for a long time held the royal warrant from the Queen as purveyors of Scottish specialities. They really were the very high end company, and they were established in 1868 by a 25 year old gardener called George Baxter, and he borrowed a hundred pounds from his family and he established his grocer shop in Fa- in Fockers. You've got to watch that one, Helen. You've, You've got, got to watch, watch it. You've got to. I should just. <laughs> 
just just say Mustodlock. That's much easier. <laughs> oh, no, Mustodlock. That's where they are. Right. No. So George set it up in 1868, and then his wife Margaret she began to support her husband by making jams and jellies using the local fruits. But I think when we think of Baxters, and um, we think of a different generation. Yes, it's it's Gordon Baxter and Ina Baxter's mm-hmm. um, who were there. I remember I used to take the students up to Baxter's because it seemed odd that a company living relatively remotely or working relatively remotely um, from the mainstream were so successful and internationally successful. So I used to take my students up to you know, hear about their marketing, etc. And one day we were sitting there in the, the wee kind of visitor centre and Gordon Baxter and Ina Baxter came in. They'd been out for a walk. And they just kind of wandered in. And Gordon Baxter loved to talk and you know, talk about his company. And so he came in and he started to talk. And he says, come on, Nina, get your bonnet off. Just sit mm-hmm. down. We're going, to, we're going to stay with these nice folk, these nice students. And she did. She's written books. She's written cookery books all about Scottish fair as well. But they, they, they were lovely. But it's kind of changed a wee bit now, Baxter's. Yeah, they got taken over by Audrey, who I know because she studied at Harriet Watt. She was a graduate of Harriet Watt University, where I used to work. And uh, she took it forwards into the next generation. They haven't been doing too well recently. Um, They've had cutbacks. They've had people being made unemployed. Um, So, you know, I think it's a sign of of changing menus. You know, people preferring a bowl of Cullen skink rather than a tin of or a can of, um, of Baxter soup. But they did um, in their time. I mean, the the, the canning machine um, was introduced in 1923, and once they got that, the world was their oyster or their strawberry, raspberry, and plum. They were they were canning absolutely everything. But of course, up there in that part of Scotland, one of the famous um, produce from there is venison, and so they started to make what you'd referred to at the beginning, the game soup, and they used for the packaging they used the artwork. That you've probably our, our listeners have probably seen the the monarch of the glen by edwin landseer which was a, a very important scottish picture giving this romantic um, impression of the highlands and so the big stores such as harrods and fortnum and mason they all started to take on this game soup by baxters and that really made their name across the the uk that's right. And talking about the artwork, it was Ina Baxter herself who was responsible for a lot of the, the design and the incorporation of something like the Landseer design into it. Well, not maybe not that one, that was earlier, but she, she did a lot of the packaging design and uh, she she was very good. You very often would see Gordon out on the spay just beside the, the factory doing his fishing, just doing his fly fishing. Yep. And it was actually a Canadian firm that bought Baxter's in 2007. Um, so the, the name should be familiar to anybody listening in Canada. Um, but it was really, um, they also acquired Three Brentis. So there's an association with Three Brentis as well. That's all these, these big producers of canned foods, canned meats. And um, they were all brought together. So it's a name that's known across the world. But unfortunately, as I say, in recent years, um, it hasn't been doing so well. No, and you know, and it's a shame because they were also very supportive of the local farmers. A lot of their produce that they then, you know, canned and sold was grown locally. All the fruits, etc., were there. Fields and fields of the soft fruits, the raspberries and strawberries, up in the, in the Murrayshire Riviera. That's what we used to call it, the Riviera. 
Yeah, I think perhaps, you know, it was four generations of family members. I think maybe when it went international, it lost that that family focus. But they've, in 2020, Baxter's had over 500 employees in Kentucky and Oregon alone in the United States. Um, so they're certainly, they're known as a, an international brand and I'm sure people will have heard of them. Yes, I'm sure they will, yes. Well, That's... Helen, we haven't got much further than soups. And no, oh, no. I think that we should we should keep our our we've got so much more to talk about in food. You know, <laughs> we should maybe keep that for another day. That's right. We've done soup and fish, and that's it. We haven't even got to the main course yet. No, Liz, no. So we've Far got less the sweets. Too. We could talk for oh, hours oh. on the, when we get to the sweets and desserts. But we'll and save of course, that. If, we're, if we're in Scotland, Liz, we don't talk about sweets and desserts. Talk about puddings. Puddings. Yeah. <laughs> good, good old pudding. puddings. Yep, a good pudding. So we can put up recipes that we've been talking about online this week for anybody that wants to try the Scottish soups, and uh, anybody else that has memories of their granny making these these soups for them, or if they make them today for their grandchildren or their children. Um, but do you have a word of the week, Helen? Well, I was just thinking that my mother used to make soup and we were always sent to the butcher to get a good ham hoch. That was the, the bone that was to be the basis of the stock that would be boiled away with the soup. A ham hoch, the knee or the knuckle or the shin of the, I suppose it was the pig if it was ham. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, um, it had the bone marrow, the rich bone marrow inside it that added oh, that, the juices. That was so the, important. We were yeah. always told to make sure it's got the marrow. Yep. And so you got sent for a ham hoch or you got sent for a sheep's feed. Have you ever been oh, sent she- to the butchers for a sheep's feed? No. my ma- we, we, didn't, we didn't make the potted potted heed because again the smell that pervades throughout the house <laughs> when you've got the sheep the sheep's heed biling away on the stove <laughs> well the famous my famous joke associated with that is the wee laddie that goes into the butchers and asks the butcher have you got a sheep's heed and he says no it's just the way i part my hair <laughs> oh, you, you promised me a joke, Liz. It was well worth it. <laughs> well, I was just thinking when you were talking about Ina Baxter uh, and being told to take her bonnet off, you know, and the fact that they were just so relaxed and so engaging with your students. I was just thinking of Ina with her, bu- her bonnet on, and I was thinking she was a coothy character, you know, oh, yes. a, a gentle, um, coothy, soft, friendly character so coothy is a good scottish word that's a good scottish word yes we often talk about people being coothy you're, you're trying to be describe somebody just okay he's a real coothy character yeah, yeah good gentle, one liz good gentle. yes just like myself oh. <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good one i enjoyed that one helen and we'll enjoy taking these forward with other ones um they give us a good blether and a yes. good chance to reminisce the nostalgia Absolutely. And now it's time for breakfast, Liz, for that's us. True. That's true. <laughs> breakfast. That can, and that can be, no, nothing so posh here. No, got the kedgery on this morning. No. <laughs> breakfast will be one of our next meals of the day. Okay, Absolutely. lovely to talk to you, Helen. And you, Liz. Bye for now. Bye for now. And there we have it, the end of another episode of Scottish Blethers. If you'd like to join us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Scottish Blethers. And if you'd like to leave a review, please do so on your podcast platform of choice. It's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.